Hi, everybody. Welcome again to I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to author and healthcare executive, uh, Dr. Kevin Joseph. Kevin, welcome to I Don't Care. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Joseph has written a book entitled Cracking the Healthcare Leadership Code, How Purpose, Humility, and Accessibility Can Transform Your Organization. And yeah, the folks who listen to I Don't Care know I'm a big culture guy, Dr. Joseph. And so, you know, whenever I saw this uh, uh, information about your book, I, I knew I wanted to have you on because hearing it from, uh, you know, a, a healthcare executive's perspective, uh, you know, is just, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to this. So, so how did cracking the healthcare leadership code come about? Sure. So it, it plays into the background, uh, my uh, history in being healthcare executive. So I was a, a little bit of a newly minted physician, just finished my residency for a couple of years and was asked to be the medical director of a new emergency department. It was great. So I was on board for about a year before the hospital opened up. And then a year after it opened up, I was asked for dinner uh, on a Friday night uh, to go out to dinner on a Sunday night with my boss, the healthcare system CEO. So I went to dinner, him, his wife, my wife, and 9.30 uh, p.m., dinner ended and said, by the way, tomorrow at 7 a.m., uh, well, I'm going to make you the CEO of the hospital. And so I was just thrusted into uh, into leadership. And, I, and then he went back downtown to focus on kind of the main mothership, which is very large hospital, complex care um, very academic. And so I just had to figure things out and it took me a while, about six months. I was, uh, gaining weight and got on blood pressure medications, wasn't really sleeping until it kind of finally dawned on me. And, uh, I just had to learn by myself. Um, I've since talked to many other people who want to aspire to leadership, particularly physicians to you know, help them through this transition. Uh, so they didn't go through the same traps and errors that I made, learned a lot through errors. And that's really a lot of formation in the book. And you're right about culture. That is a large basis of the book because I think that is uh, it's instrumental. It's the foundation of making things happen as a leader in any industry. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you know, it, it's something that yeah, some people just, just pass over. They, they don't, uh, you know, they're, you know, so many of us, you know, obviously all of us in healthcare leadership are very, you know, type A, you know, let's get things done. Let's, you know, make our bottom line. Let's do all that. But, but unfortunately, a lot of times people just skate over the, the, the real essence of what we do. And, and, and we all got into healthcare and, you know, you on the clinical side, me on the non-clinical side, because we wanted to help people. Right. And so a lot of times that gets lost in, in the mix. So, so let's go through each of your, each of your aspects, uh, you know, th that are in the subtitle of the book. Uh, the purpose of healthcare, I kind of touched on that, but, but, you know, and I'm friends and work with, with physicians who have evolved into uh, healthcare hospital or system leaders. And so, you know, that sense of purpose again, can get lost, you know, for them. So, what are what are ways that a physician or any healthcare leader can stay locked into that purpose? Yeah, so um, I'll back up just a little bit, if I if I may. Please, so I've given a few lectures to uh, law students um, going into practice of uh, law and medicine, as well as master's healthcare administration students. 
And whenever I finish a lecture, it doesn't matter who the audience is. So when, you know, when you get your first job, when you're looking for your first job, you need to make sure that your values align with the values of the company. And they all look at me like, yeah, of course, Doc, right? I mean, that's it. So in order for them to align, though, you have to have known and written down what your own values are. Has anyone written down their own values? And that's where you get blank stares. Well, if you don't know your own values, how can you align them up? And I think even just as important is purpose. What gets you up in the morning? Why do you um, get excited to go into healthcare? What are you trying to accomplish as a whole? And that needs to align with that of your healthcare organization. Or if you're in education, you need to line up with that college or the high school, wherever it is. Your purpose and why you wake up has to be in alignment. So you need to figure out your purpose in life. And actually in the book, there's a great diagram to help people walk through your purpose. Um, it's called Ikigai. Um, you can you know, read in the book or you can uh, you know, put it on Google or some other search engine, but it'll help you find out what your purpose is. And, and you may have a couple. You may have a professional purpose, a personal purpose, um, and it can change over life. You know, when you're in your 20s, not married, your personal purpose was going to change after you married and have kids. Uh, but is you, knowing your purpose, that ends up by being your true north. Uh, when you cast it into healthcare, it can be played into culture very easily. And that's what we did at that one organization that I was CEO over. You know, purpose was to change the lives of others. And what we ended up by doing is going around the whole organization and asking people, so how are you changing the lives of others? And it could be anyone in the organization. We ended up by eventually calling everyone a caregiver because everyone at the end of the day is going to affect the care that's given. Nurse, respiratory therapist, um, environmental services, you pre you're preventing infections. Food, nutrition, make sure you get the right diet, they're not allergic. And then you're a manager, you're making decisions that affect the caregivers. And it can go to everywhere. So we end up by calling everyone caregivers, and that gave them a purpose of what they're doing on a daily basis to ultimately take care of patients, no matter what the role, they did have a, a piece of that. So that's kind of the, the purpose that we went forth in that organization. Okay. Well, I love that. You know, and, and I feel the same way. You know, I'm not, as I said, I'm not a clinician, but I can make the clinician's lives easier to, to be able to impact our patients. You know, today uh, uh, we had, we had a, a mini town hall and, and I can get pretty, pretty evangelical about talking about purpose and culture. And, and I told him, I said, you know, in the organization in the community that we're in, you know, we're, we're kind of unique. Because, you know, in healthcare, a lot of us move around a lot. But, but in our organization, we have a number of our leaders who uh, grew up in, in our community. Uh, you know, this was always the second home for me because I went to college here in Waco. Uh, and so, you know, I, tell, I, I told our, the people who were there, I said, you know, a lot of hospitals say, hey, we take care of our family, friends, and neighbors. I said, but you got to think about this. Look around the room. Look at the people in this room who are from here, who, who grew up here. I said, you know, even the fact that I've only been back at the hospital or back in Waco and at this hospital for a little over three and a half years, on any given day, I'm going to know about 10% of our patients. And so, yeah, they're, they're family, friends, and neighbors. I said, you guys, you're going to know a lot more than that. And I said, so, you know, so when we say that, we mean it. I said, we are taking care of, of family, friends, and neighbors. And, and you can kind of see some of the people go, yeah, you know, we really, really do. 
And, but, you know, in every organization, every hospital that I've been in, we've tried to impart that, you know, that, that you know, you're not taking care of a, of a medical record number. You're taking care of a person. You're taking care of somebody's mom or dad. Absolutely. And so in the same, um, on that note, we, you know, as I said, we called all the, everyone who was employed by the company, uh, caregiver. We also called all of the patients loved ones because at the end of the day, there's someone's loved one. There's someone's spouse, daughter, son, mother. And so a patient insurance companies will call um, the patients. It, they are a number. But in healthcare, when you are interacting with them directly, their loved one. And I'm convinced that anyone is interacting with patients in any form. If you make a decision based upon if that's your loved one on the table or in the room or where, you're going to come up with the right decision. Well, that's right. That's so right. So, so let's go to the next word uh, in your subtitle, humility. And boy, you know, I learned pretty early on in healthcare because I came from another industry after graduate school for about four years before I got into healthcare. But I learned pretty early on, man, it seems like everybody has lots of letters after their last name. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of very, you know, highly educated people in healthcare. And, and oftentimes with that, you know, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of us healthcare leaders are very type A. So there's some egos involved, right? So, so how can you crack this leadership, healthcare leadership code by focusing on your own humility and the humility of others that you lead? Yeah, it's, it's not a, a one and done. It's a constant yeah. uh, effort. So I think the simplest, most basic one is, yeah, I'm a physician and I treated, I don't know, thousands of mercy patients in the mercy department, but no one calls me Dr. Joseph, it's Kevin. I'm not better than anyone else. My job is not more important. I just have a different job. You, know, you ask me um, who can put in the best IV, it's a nurse. It's not a physician. If you ask someone who's going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, it's the person who does it day in, day out. I cannot do it as well, a physician or whoever. So just remove the, the titles. Be a normal person. Be humble. The other thing is making mistakes. Admit them and learn from them. Um, I made many mistakes, and I think some of the uh, best result of me making mistakes, not only learning from it, but when you admit it, and it, it sends a different message to everyone else that, wow, they, they're admitting they're making a mistake in a, in a public forum. Um, they're not afraid of it. So guess what? Now other people are not afraid of admitting mistakes. And I've also said, make mistakes. Make as many as you want. As long as one, it wasn't intentional, right? Because that is malevolent. Two, you admit it, so you're not hiding. Three, you learn from it and you spread those learnings. And four, it doesn't happen again. Go ahead. And if if you allow that kind of mantra, people are going to be innovative. They're going to try new things. And yes, there's going to be mistakes, but the organizational role is going to move so much further forward because now people however many people in your organization are going to be willing to try something new to use their minds and, and not be afraid of uh, retaliation by making a mistake. So it's, it's being humble and admitting it and allowing everyone, including yourself to make a mistake, move forward. You know, and, and we were again in, in today's town hall boy, is today's discussion timely uh, based upon that. But we were talking about communication and, and, and really trying to, to, to be transparent, open, honest with, with your staff. And, and I told him, I said, look, there, there are some things I just can't tell you for, for one reason or another. But, you know, the things that I can, I'm going to be very open and honest with you about those. 
And, and that's how, and frankly, that's how I communicate with our medical staff here too. You know, I told them up front, I said, look, I, I'm, I, I'm going to be open and honest with you. I'm not going to blow smoke. There's going to be times you don't like what I tell you, but, but I want you to realize that I come from a place, you know, uh, a place of real passion and love for the organization. And I'm always going to do what's right for the organization. And, and once, you know, once your, your medical staff and, you, and your associates, you know, understand that that's what you're all about, you know, delivering hard, hard messages is a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Uh, okay. So accessibility, mm -hmm. you were following me around today. <laughs> so, so, so talk a little bit about, you know, about being more accessible as a healthcare leader. Yeah. So it is a common, um, misuse. I think there's so many cliches and things that misuse. Sure. People say, well, I've got an open door policy, so I'm accessible. But I think people mistake what open door policy means. People say it's open so people can come to me. Well, if that's what your expectation is, that in itself is a little bit of arrogance. They can come to me. Well, open door is go outside that door that you left open and go see them. Go talk to them where they're at. Because one, they're coming to work, they're busting their butt, whatever job they have, respiratory therapy, pharmacy, uh, nurse. And go to see how, what they're doing. As a leader, your job is to serve them, to make them successful. And so be accessible by going to them. And then we have something called rounding, right? And I'm a big fan of rounding, but I'm not a fan of the title. The title rounding, um, what does it mean by rounding? You're just going around. Um, it doesn't go down to the purpose of what rounding is, which is really connecting. You're trying to connect with people. Understand their concerns, understand the struggles, what is going on with them personally in their daily job, what's frustrating them, what are the roadblocks, you're connecting with them. And so when you're connecting, it doesn't necessarily even have to be um, right to them in their face. You can connect with people as a follow-up through a text. Hey, how you doing? Hey, your vacation last week, what was it like? Hey, you have fun? Uh, graduation of your child? I also am a big believer in when you go to connect, uh, don't necessarily connect when they're, they're working. I think we've all been there where we're a leader, we go try to connect with a nurse, round with a nurse, right? They're running their butt off. And you feel bad interrupting them for five, 10 minutes. And frankly, they want to talk to you, but they don't want to talk to you at that one time of five, 10 minutes. So what I've done is I connect over lunch. And so uh, Wednesdays, I have uh, connecting in the cafeteria. So I'll grab my food, go sit down with people who I just noticed happen to be sitting down, I go and introduce myself. At that point, everyone's relaxed. They want to chat. Oh, guess what I had you know, lunch with? I had lunch with the CNO, the CFO, whoever it is, and, and they enjoy it. And they'll be able to speak more because they're not pressured of, for time with doing what they normally do. Um, it's a casual environment. It breaks down the power gradient. And so rounding, I try to call it connecting because that's really what you're trying to do. And it, doesn't, it, sh and it shouldn't be scripted of – I'm only going to go out to them. I have a list of questions I'm going to ask. Just connect with them like a normal person. Just, you know, be normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and you're exactly right. You know, and, and again, timeliness of this conversation. You know, talking to our folks, I said, okay. I said, think about a leader that, that you've had in the past, a mentor that you've had in the past, who you, whose communication style really, really connected well with you. 
I said, so tell me about that. And people talked about exactly what you said. You know, somebody who, who I could tell cared about me, cared about what I did, cared about our patients, cared about the organization, and, and that was visible, that got out of their office, you know, that came to me. I'm like, boy, you are, you are dead on because, you know, I'm always looking, you know, we're always in, in, in our administration area, we're always looking to how can we communicate better with not only our staff, our medical staff, our patients, our visitors, you know, what can we do better? And so, you know, that kind of feedback is was really, you know, affirming to some of us who do that, and also a little bit, uh, a, a little bit of a jab to some of us who may not do that as often as as we should. But uh, so, so you know, we talked about purpose, humility, and accessibility. You know, I've seen all those things transform an organization. So give me some examples of how those three leadership traits have helped transform some of the uh, organizations that you've been a part of. Sure. I think when you combine them all, where everyone has a purpose, a common goal, you're accessible as a leader, uh, you're humble as a leader, that is the foundation of breaking down a power gradient and setting up a strong culture. Power gradient has been proven time and time again in every industry. Airlines, nuclear power, um, in NASA, uh, that it, it inhibits outcomes, safety, innovation, um, engagement. So how do you break down the power gradient? And those are three things that really help break it down and now transform the organization so people speak up. Uh, if the sponge count is wrong, is everyone gonna, someone going to say, hey, you doctor surgeon, um, can you pause for a second before you finish sewing up the skin? And they feel comfortable. And it has to go both ways. So the surgeon must say, okay, yeah, we'll pause. And if they're wrong, and the, so that the sponge count is actually correct, and you wasted 10 minutes, the surgeon still needs to say thank you for standing up and pausing. Even though you suspected by being wrong, you still said something that didn't seem right. And so thank you for doing that. And yet that's the way you encourage it. So these three things, I think, are the foundation of power gradient as well as culture. You know, we talked about the importance of culture earlier, very briefly at the, at the beginning. And I am a, a strong, strong believer in it uh, for the reason I just mentioned. But also my analogy, I, I, I'm big in analogies, uh, is like our own health. The most important thing that we all have is our own health. And if you want to say, I'm going to get healthy, right? I'm going to you know, lose this many pounds. I'm going to gain this much muscle, get stronger. Great. And it takes you three months to increase your bench press, whatever, a certain amount, or to lose a certain amount of weight. It takes a while, years. Same thing with culture. It takes a long time to build it up. But if you lay off for a week and you go on a vacation or two weeks, whatnot, you slide back all that three, four months in two weeks. Same thing with culture. It takes you so long to build up. You let off the gas pedal just a little bit, you can slide all the way back. And the, but the important, so that's where the similar important difference. If you're trying to build up muscle and you stop, so you slide all the way back, there's actually muscle memory and you can get back there quicker. Opposite with culture. If you slide back and you lose trust and things, it's going to take you even that much longer to go there. So instead of three months to do X, Y, and Z in culture, it's going to take you six months, nine months. So yeah. they're very similar 
except that one key point, which um, is a complete opposite. Boy, you're so right. I, I would like to add a fourth sure. to yeah. yours. Uh, I, I would frankly like to add gratitude because yeah, I, I, tell, I tell our folks and, and people outside of the walls of this hospital who aren't involved in healthcare, you know, healthcare is hard and, and it's a hard business. And over the last three plus years, people have realized really how hard of a job delivering care to people is. And so, you know, like today at the end of our gathering, you know, I, I told everybody, I said, I just want you to know, I know how hard your jobs are. I want to thank you for, for doing what you do. And I want to thank you on behalf of our patients. I said, because they are ultimately the beneficiaries of your great works. And, and you know, I, I really, I, I try to be as intentional as possible about being grateful for, for what our folks do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. So there's a whole chapter in my book. Um, I think it may have eventually broken up to two chapters <clears throat> on reward and then also accountability. And so reward and recognition um, is a, a quote that I love. It's from Steve Covey. The deepest hunger of the human soul is to feel recognized, valued, appreciated, and understood. And I think that's in all parts of your life. That's what you want from your spouse or your, your partner. Recognized, valued, appreciated, understood. That's what you want from your colleagues. That's what you want from your boss. So then once you know that, okay, so how are you going to recognize them and appreciate them? Well, there's a book called The Five Love Languages, right? And it's quality time. It's um, touch. It's gifts. It's um, I'm gonna I'm not, acts of service. Acts of service. Uh, and then I think words, right? Yeah, that, yeah, words of affirmation. Yeah, words of affirmation. There's actually now a book called something to the same extent about professional recognition. And it's the same five. So words, okay? So thank, give thank yous. Um, but it also depends on also how you do it and down to the individual person. Some people love being recognized, but some of them, people don't like it in public. They just want it behind closed doors. Hey, great job. We need to be specific uh, about what we're recognizing them for. And I think it's also different mechanisms. Yeah, you can send an email. It's more valuable if you send a handwritten note. And what's really valuable, someone goes way above and beyond and makes a difference. Send a handwritten note to the family members. Send it to the home, to the family members. Did you know that your mom saved a life in the ICU and that's why she was home late three days ago? That means so much and it's going to the family. But all five different ways of, uh, you know, the five love languages in recognition. Quality time, Okay, so if you're in a meeting and you have your phone up to you, well, is, is that quality time with the person you're in front of? It's not. And so how are you being present in that conversation? So this five is a great book for really f uh, putting a framework around how you're going to recognize people to make, to make them feel recognized, valued, appreciated, and understood. Steve Covey's quote. Boy, uh, you, 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 I was, I was going to say exactly what you just said, just about being present. Yeah, you know, being present and something else too is having the emotional intelligence to know the room. You know, because yeah, as I told some people today, I said, you know, sometimes you know you you have a message to deliver, but sometimes it's just not appropriate time. It's not to the appropriate people. Uh, so you've got to read the room to see if that if that is going to be something that will be received as you want it to be received. Yeah, absolutely. And to the room part, there's an environment that everything is 
set up. For example, in a room, are you behind a podium speaking to everyone? Is it classroom style or is it circular so that no one's at a head of the table? The same thing when you have a one-on-one meeting. Are you sitting across the desk from someone which sets up a power greeting? Or you go to a small chair, you know, a small coffee table with two seats or, and you have coffee together. Do you do a walking meeting outside? Do you go to a coffee shop versus sitting behind a desk? There are times you do want to do that, sit behind a desk, and if you hold someone, you roll it. Other than that, it's, the environment means a lot. It sends a message in itself that I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize. You know, and, and I'm glad you said that because I did something very intentional today when I was in this meeting. We were, you know, we were just talking. And I decided, you know what, I'm not going to stand up. I was sitting up on the front row. I'd already turned my chair where I was facing most everybody. And so I just I sat there and, and, and said a few things. And, you know, because I, I intentionally did not want to stand up and stand and tower over them to sh- in a position of power. Mm-hmm. As I, yep, sends a strong message. Um, yeah, really. So and uh, if I go off on a little more of a tangent about that's, that was your form of communicating. Um, was not standing up, but sitting down. That's the type of body language. And there's a study, I think, back in the 60s by a psychologist, Marabian, I think his name is, M-E-H-R-A-B-I-N. But anyways, um, communication has three components. It has words, intonation of the words, and then body language. And words, what you've spoken, is only 7% of communication. That's right. I yeah, is um, intonation, and 55% is body language. So what you did by sitting down and said that that was a body language movement is 55% communication and spoke much more than uh, many of the words you probably <laughs> did speak. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it did. Well, you know, Kevin, I, I've really enjoyed today because, because we, we've talked about, uh, as I said, a subject that I love. Uh, any final words that you'd like to touch on? One th- before we get to that, I did notice that your foreword was written by Quint Studer, who I, I, I got to be honest with you, I got a healthcare crush on Quint. He's been on my show before. Uh, the folks around here kind of laugh because every time Quint's name comes up, everybody looks at me because I've given out his last book, The Calling. Yeah. And, and so, so boy, how did you how did you make that happen? That's great. Sure. So I met him at a um, leadership development institute, my last organization. And, um, I spoke for a little bit on high reliability and culture, uh, power gradient, and um, it was a short lecture, half an hour, 45 minutes, and he liked it. And so I got a call a couple weeks later if I could be on uh, one of his boards, healthcare boards. He's um, chair of the board, and he's looking for someone to uh, join him. And so that's how I got to know him. Phenomenal individual, as not only uh, a brilliant leader, but just a humble person who cares about people, genuinely cares about people. Yeah, absolutely. So so with that, any final words uh, about your book or anything else you want to talk about? Anyone who's in healthcare, keep doing what you're doing. You're leaving a legacy. There's some really, really hard days. Um, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, and be the leader that you've seen other people become and follow your true north and purpose. That's all I'll say. Boy, thanks so much. Dr. Kevin Joseph, author of Cracking the Healthcare Leadership Code, How Purpose, Humility, and Accessibility Can Transform Your Organization. Thanks so much for being with me today on I Don't Care. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. Now, one last thing. How can people find your book? Um, there's a couple ways. Uh, one, you can go to ACHD uh, website, American College Healthcare Executives, and then also okay. Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, if you're going to buy in bulk or if you're, you are an ACHE member, there are discounts through ACHE. Um, otherwise, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a few other sites. Fantastic. Well, I will give you one final plug. Yeah. Bookauthority.com ranked this book as the number one healthcare book in 2023. So congratulations, Kevin. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. With that, folks, thanks again for joining me on I Don't Care this week, and we will see you next time. Thanks again.